the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Since March is Women's History Month and March 8th is International Women's Day, I'm going to be marching out some guests that are female financial advisors from EP Wealth this month. We should probably have about one per week. Maybe it'll be two per week and skip a week kind of thing. But I'm very excited. Kathy Costas, she's going to be talking about divorce during and after what it means to be divorced financially from your husband, divorced financially from your potential house and your, your, your children. Like, what does it mean when that happens financially? We're going to have Laura Knoll on. She's written a book, Financial Steps, How to Take When Your Spouse Dies. My mother passed away. But long before she passed away, my father passed away 25 years earlier. We all had to learn what that means for her because my mother never did a checkbook. Maybe she balanced her checkbook and that's about it back in those good old days. But she wasn't the financial, how shall we say, CFO of the family. Liz McQueen's going to be on talking about top concerns for professional women. Stephanie Richmond, she's going to talk about the gender pay gap in retirement planning. Women live longer than men. I showed a shocking statistic earlier this week. I want to talk about healthcare costs for women versus men, and women have to account for about an extra $40,000 more because they outlive men, much like my mother did. This is a show dedicated to getting you to retirement. Spread the word. I'm going to do the best I can. This is the first time I've ever had four guests on in a month. I think it'll be pretty solid. And let's build off of it. Yesterday was a slightly negative day. Not terrible. Again, what we're dealing with, in my opinion, is higher interest rates. As the 10-year march is higher, And we're starting to see options for cash getting you 5% in a bank account. That's pretty good. In an FDIC, SIPC insured account, that's pretty good. Now, again, inflation's at 6%. So your cash is still losing. But it doesn't feel like it's losing murderously. For lack of a better word, I do like that word. What interest rates at 5% means to me is that it's going to be a long time before we get out of the super low interest rates like we had two years ago, 18 months ago. 18 months ago, I got the lowest cost mortgage of my life. And a couple of years before that, I got the lowest cost mortgage of my life. And a couple of years before that, I got the lowest cost. But see, it bottomed, in my opinion. And it would take an event like 9-11 for us to have that kind of emergency action to cut interest rates that low again. We got addicted to them. 
if you haven't saved your first hundred thousand, it's going to be a little bit tougher. Higher interest rates makes it for a little bit more of a headwind. I listened to one hedge fund manager yesterday say something pretty interesting. He thinks the days of the outperformance from the mega caps are over. And on a lot of levels, I'm with him. Now, again, I own some Google. I own some Meta. I own a lot of Apple, a lot of Microsoft. And when a hedge fund billionaire says that the best days are behind these guys of outperforming the market, my first reaction is, screw you. What do you know? You're just a billionaire. (laughs) Right? And then you start to think about it and you're like, well, they are kind of big companies. So the only way they can really get much bigger, and for the record, if you have not seen The Whale, holy mackerel, what a movie. In the truest sense of movies, something you've never seen before on the screen. That's all I'm going to say. Um, the whale getting too big. I do believe that Apple at $2, billion, uh, two trillion or $3 trillion. Like, is that for real? It's market valuation. You can't expect it to add. Now, again, if it can add a trillion dollar market cap, it has to add you know, four trillion in sales down the road. It gets kind of scary. When you start looking at big numbers like that, it's the law of big averages. It's easy to be Colin Farrell and go from 180 pounds to 250. It's tough to go from 250 to 500, 500 to 1,000. Those big moves are a little bit tougher on your body. I know you're saying... Colin Farrell, wasn't he an Irishman? Not the fact, not 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 the whale guy. And there's a scene in the movie The Whale where he's pretty much so naked, and a lot of heavier set people are complaining, like you shouldn't show that. That's fat shaming. I'm like, I don't know. At some point in time, we all have to figure out how we're going to move forward without people getting upset because it's a movie. And the dude was ashamed. So it's a story. Anyway, Goldman Sachs, which has one of the best brand names in the world in business, is saying, whoops, we made a mistake. In 2016, they added Marcus, which was a consumer bank. They didn't want to ruin their good name of Goldman Sachs as a bank. So they made up they used a made up one, Marcus. That was for the average people, the plebeians, not the bourgeois. Um, it had a splashy relationship with Apple with a credit card. It got a small one with GM on a credit card. It was never able to do much, much more. It was hmm, the Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy of banks, and they, they decided to kind of go ghetto and and average bank and offer average banking services to average people. Now people are starting to think the CEO needs to leave. Now, again, the CEO has been kind of a wackadoodle. And I, I say this and I, I, it's tough for me to quantify because I'm not living his life and I'm, I'm not qualified, qualifying it either in any way, shape or form. I don't know. The dude goes around and does part-time DJ work. Um, yeah, like that kind of DJ. 
an EDM kind of DJ. And he's supposed to be CEO of a company. And you're like, eh. no, again, keep in mind, Elon Musk, he's CEO of Twitter. He's CEO. Like he's doing a lot of roles as CEO. And some people are starting to get tired of it. Mark Benioff at Salesforce is running into problems because we don't know who the next CEO is. CEOs are important. Do you want your CEO being a DJ? Do you want your CEO working on three different projects for three different companies? Do you want your CEO? Do you see why success or failure starts at top? Um, I truly believe that an organization's executive team guide is for future success or mediocrity ensues. SCOTUS could scrap the student debt loan forgiveness. It doesn't look like it's going to happen so far in the oral arguments. Uh, it appears the justices are skeptical. Now it turns down to can they find reasons that the states broke the laws or didn't have the laws behind them in challenging the suits? I don't know. I'm not that much into the judicial system. Sorry. But that's a $400 billion economic activity, either positive or negative. You tell me. Big event coming up March 11th, Saturday. You can sign up for the Retirement and Income Seminar in Lafayette Park Hotel right now at robblackshow.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. College is expensive. Marriage is expensive. Cars are expensive. Houses are expensive. After that, it starts to all get a little bit more manageable. Um, had a most ridiculous conversation with my children yesterday. Um, I make a homemade beef stroganoff. And the cut of meat, like you can tell when I'm stressed about the economy. It's like top sirloin or beef stroganoff with top sirloin. Yum, right? <laughs> or it's filet mignon when I'm feeling like Randy. let's have money to spend and drop anywhere who cares um dog just ate a whole steak who no matter does not bother i uh so the kids were asking you know about the ingredients and they were like how much was the steak dad and how you know what's the cheapest meat and I, i gave my i smiled at my child when he said what's the cheapest meat because I do think there's a cost per calorie in my head. I don't know if there is with you. I think there is with me. So I, I was proud of my boy for throwing down that one. And I was like, well, you could get like chicken feet that are really cheap, but let's not go that dark. Let's go with like a really fatty hamburger. And see what he has to say to that one. So again, he, there's pork, there's chicken. You know, pork's up 150% in the last year in price. Oh, oh, oh. The other, other white meat, as we like to say. There's six college degrees that left graduates earning a median salary of less than $40,000 within about five years of graduation. I bring this up because we started the conversation before we got into the price of meat, which is consumer inflation. We started talking about price of cars, price of houses, price of divorces. How about six degrees that really eh, don't live up to spending a lot of money on the degree? Federal Reserve. Yeah, that Federal Reserve, the ones who do it, is doing all the interest rates. But they, there's a different Federal Reserve. There's a, like a New York Federal Reserve. There's a Chicago Federal Reserve. There's a miniature version, and they all get together as a group. John Wick 4 is coming out soon. 
But the New York Federal Reserve showed some data on careers. And they said, be very, very careful getting a career in the performing arts at a college. Median wage in the first five years of your career afterwards will be about $39,000 with an unemployment rate of 7.6%. So if you're going to spend $100,000 on college, it's going to take a long time to pay that one back. The underemployed, 64% of performing arts, i.e. people who want to work more. Leisure and hospitality, it's going to get you about $38,000. The underemployment rate of people who are in that industry who want more hours, more career, 58%. Graduates of leisure and hospitality can expect to earn $60,000 in their mid-careers, but start off early on at $38,000. It's interesting to note that some 14 million people were employed in leisure and hospitality industries. That figure is going to grow to 16 million by 2031. Now, it's interesting because I've said on this air that I wouldn't mind if my kids got into like being a chef or working at a hotel. For the first couple of years of their life, for the first couple of years of their career, not forever, maybe, but to get a little bit of free world travel on something like a Hilton or a Hyatt. Another industry that doesn't pay a lot of money in its first couple of years, psychology. Now, again, psychology graduates expect to earn about $65,000 a year at mid-career. But early on, it's $37,400 with an underemployment rate of 47.6%. My kid plays flag football on Sundays. And um, embarrassing to say, but I'm the parent coach. And how many years of flag football or football did I play in my life? Zero. But no other dad would do it, and I'm good at organizing. So anyhow, um, off track, but one of the dads is a psychologist, and he looks cool. Like, he just looks like that guy who talked the talk, walked the walk. Um, I love it when you meet someone in a good career, and you're like, I bet you have a story or two. Um, best story I've ever heard in the career was I was dating uh, an overnight nurse at a ca- uh, Catholic hospital. So she had to like go through and like do sponge baths for people in comas and stuff like that. And she said her and her two friends were giving a sponge bath to a nun who had been in coma for 20 years. And she was cleaning her feet and with a little metal pan underneath and cleaning the feet. And something popped. And she's like, what's that noise? And she looks down in the pan and it's it's the toe. The toe fell off because of diabetes. And she said her and the two nurses just started laughing because it was so stressful that a human toe fell off, landed in the pen, in the, the, the bin, the metal wash bin with a loud thunk. That's terrible. It's not terrible. It's a great story. Um, she was, it was interesting because as a nurse, I was like, do you ever get tired of the human body? Like, you're supposed to be 20, 20 years old in your 20s and sexy and young. And here you are stitching it up. Here you are fixing it up. Here you are seeing broken bones. Like, do you see it? And she says, yep, it's all a slab of meat to me. I'm like, is there a desirable body? It's like, eh, mine. And she goes, yes, of course yours. <laughs> like, well, that's a good answer. But I was a little, I was a little um, how shall we say, anxious dating a nurse. I don't know. I don't know. I've got some issues, right? Another career that doesn't pay terribly well at the start is uh, social services. 27% of people in social services are underemployed. 
you can earn a good $52,000 mid-career, but first couple of years, you're at 37000 Interesting, right? Um, theology and religion is the lowest paid job that you can get a degree in. I was a little shocked to see that. At mid-career, theology and religious graduates, graduates earn a median $52,000 annually, according to the New York Federal Reserve. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, some 387,000 theology graduates were employed in 2019. I don't know much about that part of our economy. I think that's completely fair for me to say, because I'm being honest. But it also brings up the thought of, what's your degree worth? I once said on this air that a degree in poetry is probably not your best investment. Career-wise, to go out and get a $100,000 degree, to be a poet, there's not going to be a great return on investment. And someone got really, really mad at me, and I get it. My job is to be confrontational up to a line, to get you thinking up to a line, and then back off. He's like, my brother was a poetry major at the University of Brazil, and he is now the, uh, and I, I, I kid you not, he was like not a dictator, but he was a world leader in one of those teeny tiny Latin American countries or South American countries. Um, I don't know. Choose your career wisely is my advice. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Come up. We're going to be talking investing. We're going to be talking strategy in the markets this March 11th weekend, we're going to be talking about retirement income planning at the Lafayette Park Hotel with Stephanie Richmond. You can sign up for that event March 11th, Saturday morning, 10 to noon at robblackshow.com. Don't want to work forever? Check out the retirement planning guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I get up bright and early, 4.30 in the morning. And one of the very first things I try to find is Patrick O'Hare in his daily column. I get to talk to him live on Wednesday, so I don't have to, how shall we say, search out his article. Um, Mr. O'Hare, how are you today? Good morning, Rob. I'm doing well, thank you. Good to be back with you. Yeah, so your uh, your daily is something I, I dig because it's a snapshot. Um, I'd imagine that takes you about 30 minutes to compile in the morning. Is that about right? Well, uh, the writing part of it, it does, but uh, there's a little bit more behind the scenes that goes into making sure it only takes about 30 minutes to put together. So. I'm sure you're drawing on a lot of sources because there's a lot of information on page one. Mm-hmm. Your, your your topic headline today or your article headline today, chill in the air to begin March. Um, January was too good to be true, it turns out, because things came back to earth on the markets in f- February. It looks like, to me, higher interest rates, the number one culprit. Um, what are you seeing as the chill in the air to begin March? Sure. Well, I guess maybe you can put it a little bit in perspective. I think if you had asked anyone in you know, maybe early to mid-December if they'd be happy with the market up 3%, you know, as of the end of February, I think we'd all take that, you know, every day. Um, And so it just kind of felt bad in February, though, because January 
frankly felt too good. Um, you know, the market really got ahead of itself in pricing in the idea of the Fed pausing soon and then, you know, and then entertain the notion that the Fed, you know, might actually cut rates uh, once, if not twice, before the end of the year. And what became apparent in February was that was, you know, uh, somewhat misguided thinking because, you know, the economic data continued to defy expectations. Uh, and so we saw the adjustment in the treasury market, you know, happen fairly quickly. And the stock market, you know, wanted to resist that. But ultimately, by the end of the month, it was recognizing that, um, you know, rates are headed higher. The Fed is uh, going to take its terminal rate. Uh, to where at least to where it thought it was going to when it put out those projections in December. And the Fed's going to stay there for probably a lot longer than the market uh, likes to think or previously liked to think, you know, and uh, to that end, you know, we heard from Atlanta Fed President Bostic this morning that, you know, he thinks the Fed should get to five to five and a quarter and then stay there well into 2024. Uh, So you've had a recalibration really of the interest rate outlook and that's reined in some of the stock market's enthusiasm as uh, people got more attentive to, you know, valuations being stretched in the face of declining earnings estimates and uh, and a Federal Reserve that's going to be very sticky with its tightening policy. I like the way you use the term recalibration. I work in television and sometimes a camera will lose focus and you have to put a white sheet of paper in front of it for it to kind of refocus. Is that kind of what we can expect at this point in time of the recalibration from super low interest rates. I got a 2.7% mortgage 18 months ago. Are we going to just recalibrate into borrowing costs for corporations, for individuals, for mortgages, for credit cards? Do we have to recalibrate five years, 10 years, 15 years of expectations of higher than the last 15 years? Well, we do think uh, that there is, yeah, that you have to have that recalibration because, okay. you know, we, some people might refer to it, frankly, as, as normalization of interest rates. That's you right. know, um, we, we have been spoiled for a generation, frankly, with rock bottom interest rates. And, uh, and it takes some getting used to. Now, the problem, the upsetting factor for the market is that we're kind of on a path to normalization that's running pretty quickly. Uh, and uh, and it's difficult, I think, for you know market participants to get their mind around that when uh, they were locked at you know such low interest rates for what seemed like forever. Um, and so you do have to just kind of yeah, you take a step back, recalibrate, uh, and wait to see you know wh- what is the settlement point. You know wh- wh- you know when will we get there, and at what level uh, will you know will that be? Uh, and that's very uncertain right now because inflation is still proving to be pretty sticky. Um, you, know, you might not see it come down as quickly as, as some might like to believe it will. And, you know, this Fed continues to emphasize the point that it's committed to getting inflation back down to its 2% target. And it will stay in a restrictive posture for as long as necessary and will probably you know, uh, accept the risk that it maybe stays there too long and over tightens just to be sure that it gets inflation back down to that target uh, and can stay there uh, because it, you know, grossly, you know, underestimated inflation's rise and stood at the zero bound and continued to, you know, buy Treasury securities far longer than it really should have. And uh, they don't want to repeat the mistake on the other side of things here. 
Now, when I hinted that it probably took you about 30 minutes to pull everything together, it's really a whole day research of you're always looking for things to talk about on Wall Street. Earnings is a a big time because uh, the stories kind of come to us. I see that in your chill in the air to begin March, the page one, um, you talked on Kohl's and Rivian and Novavax and Agilent, Ross, AMC, a lot of companies, a lot of different type of companies. They're reporting earnings. Um, Anything in the earnings reports that you're seeing as a flag that um, maybe like Ross is a lower cost discounter and Agilent is more of a high end tech equipment kind of company. Any trends that you're seeing in earnings right now? Well, you know, to be fair, as a market analyst, I, I kind of generalize things, frankly, as it relates to sort of the, the earning scene on a day-to-day basis, right? Okay. I don't usually get a chance in the morning anyway to look uh, in depth to any individual earnings report. You know, I'm looking at it relative to kind of where they came in versus consensus expectations. But having said that, mm-hmm. as a market analyst, you know, I can see that uh, earnings estimates continue to decline. Um and and that's the problem here. Um, and you're you are kind of getting these you know cautious-minded outlooks, touch the guidance, um, and and the trajectory of the trend right now as it relates to earnings estimates isn't isn't favorable. Um, so the concern as we look at earnings estimates now, right, that have already come down markedly, certainly since the middle of last year and and even the first part of this year, really, is that. We haven't really seen any extreme economic slowing, uh, so to speak, in the data itself. I mean, you have real GDP still running above potential, but the concern is that the lag effect of the Fed's rate hikes hasn't really, you know, hit home yet, and and that is likely or looking as if it might be more of a second half uh, of 2023 story. So, um, so you're likely to see these earnings estimates for this year continue to get you know, marked down as we move through the year. And so there's just not a lot of faith yet that you've found a bottom. So you might have, you know, the S&P 500 is now moving back toward, oh, you know, trading closer to in line with its historical average of, you know, 17.2 times forward 12-month earnings. But we're still a little bit rich to that at 17.7 now. Uh, but that's it. But earnings estimates aren't static, you know. So we can't really make the argument that the market is, is cheap or real value here. It might be fully valued, if anything. Uh, but if these estimates continue to come down as we expect, then you can kind of make an argument that it remains overvalued and will continue to be find the sledding tough to to move higher because earnings estimates are coming down while interest rates are going up. And that's really just a, a kind of a really bad combination for equities. Yeah, I feel a little sad after that. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's just it's shockingly right and shockingly true. Um, mm-hmm. Sticky inflation has been very, very problematic in the United States, and we're going to continue to see that. Is there anything that you're starting to work on maybe for your big picture column on Fridays, which is a very long piece? I'm sure that takes multiple, multiple hours to put together and to edit and to get approved. Um, anything that you think maybe that's where our focus should be on? Well, yeah, thanks, Rob. I mean, the kind of along the lines of what I what I was just referring to. You have interest rates going up, right? So, yep. you know, investors don't have to be so forlorn that there, you know, is nothing they can do here in terms of getting, you know, return on on their capital. Um, and one of the, I guess, troublesome 
considerations for the stock market right now is that there is competition now from those higher interest rates in you know corporate bonds and certainly in treasuries and and treasuries probably the most competition of all because you're looking at you know effectively a risk-free instrument and you know uh, and you probably have talked about this on your show i'm sure but you know you have a six-month t-bill at, you know yielding 5.16 percent right now um you know that looks okay for a lot of people here and it's you know it granted it's you know, you're kind of maybe on an inflation adjusted basis not you know, seeing a strong positive return, but at the same time, you're preserving capital uh, at a time when it's becoming more challenging to do so because of these obstacles for the stock market in the form of rising interest rates. We only have about a minute, so don't get into a long answer, but I recently saw the M2 money supply shrink, and I've always had a tough time interpreting that for the radio and podcast audience. Do you have any thoughts on M2 shrinking? Well, I guess you could say, you know, you and me both. I mean, if it's a measure kind of, a, you know, amount of money and kind of checkings and savings accounts. And, and right. so it, you know, reflects, you know, potential draining of liquidity uh, in some respects. And, you know, the stock market likes to see, uh, you know, money flowing. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're getting, you know, maybe a retrenchment in that money supply, uh, then it can create some some headwinds both for flows to the equity market as well as, Flows as it relates to um, consumer spending activity, uh, and that's one of the risks here as we look at the second half outlook. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news that you can use. I start my day every day with Briefing.com. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at RobBlack.com. Let's talk social media influencers. It is a career for some lucky few. Um, It's really quite a fascinating business model to look through where you're asking for donations or you're asking for product endorsements um, or you're using product endorsements to pay the bills. I've got a nephew, a niece in the family not related by blood, who happens to be six foot five. And she does modeling, a tall woman's model, a very tall woman's model. And women are getting taller. And as they do, they're looking for clothes that fit them, lingerie that fits them, underwear that fits them. So she's in a good place. And I'm like, are you going to do that for a whole career? What happens when you get like, uh, when you want to make a baby? And she's like, well, I'll be a tall woman with a baby influencer. And I'm like, okay, that's totally fair. Um, I was concerned, but if she wants to do it, she's going to do it, right? So I just was doing some work on Prime because my kids got some Prime drinks. They're kind of like Gatorade. They're kind of like Powerade. But they've got really beautiful color bottles. Prime was launched by two prominent influencers and boxers, Logan Paul and KSI, who actually were in the ring fighting one another. And then they went from enemies to frenemies. They both have 100 plus million followers on YouTube and Instagram. Uh, and like it's, it's crazy. Prime has been a way for their followers to show loyalty. Its immense popularity is showing how influential they can be and how widespread marketing 
is effective. In the next 10 years, the biggest brands will be made by creators. They understand the medium. They understand what the customer wants. Um, there's no shortage of, of energy drinks out there. I remember hearing that Kobe Bryant had a share in body armor. Buster Posey has a share in body armor. And I'm like, okay, what's okay. That's athletes. I get it. They're kind of influencers, but are they Logan Paul and KSI kind of level? Probably not younger uh, than the professional athletes, more controversial, um, and let's face it, who's watching baseball and who's, well, I guess a lot of people are watching basketball. Prime drinks cost about two forty dollars a bottle. Um, but you're starting to see them being resold for $12, $20 to $100. Some kids at school are charging you to take a photo with their empty bottle. There's TikTok and Twitter videos showing people lining up for stacked pallets of the drink. The brand made $250 million in retail sales last year. The drink is not made by Logan Paul or KSI. It's made in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, a company called Congo Brands. And Congo Brands is saying, yep, yeah, our business model is to work with influencers. They officially, they officially became the official drink of the UFC, which, again, showing my age and not understanding even influencers, I'm like... Mixed martial arts, well, give me good old Mike Tyson boxing. And I'll be honest to you, old-fashioned Mike Tyson boxing is boring compared to MMA. I guess soon we're going to have to kill each other in the ring to keep the entertainment going up, right? So what is pushing Prime higher is a great business lesson for your children. It's about scarcity. The drinks is not all that great. The drink's not that different than Powerade. It's not that different than Gatorade. It's, it's not that different body armor it's scarcity as soon as you say there's a limited supply people rush out it's really difficult in europe to get your hands on the stuff so like if i really really wanted to right now i would get a stack of the stuff and i would sell it on ebay i'd find the ebay internet address for the uk i'm not that desperate but it's not lost on me when you buy one PlayStation 5 when they first come out and buy two and sell one on eBay and, and make double your money. Um, there are ways of doing this, and I'm doing a lot of research on Ticketmaster right now and ticket prices. But Prime is a great business lesson for me. Grade schoolers and teens have been long had the power to turn products into status symbols like Beanie Babies. Uh, why were we paying tens and hundreds of dollars for Beanie Babies? Let's look back at that phenomenon or Pokemon cards. Prime drinks have added layer of showing fidelity to the online influencers who launched the brand. Um, which is just getting really, really wonky, giving so much power to social media creators. But if I was Coca-Cola or Pepsi, I would be taking a look at Prime and going, hmm, I wonder if we can be buying that Congo uh, company that makes these drinks. A little confusing that Congo is based in Kentucky and not on the African continent, but we'll all get through this together holding hands. Um, to the point that people are going into stores and buying 30 at a time so they can give them to friends and family for Christmas presents. 
Wow. Did not know. Now you know. Elsewhere in the world of news today, Eli Lilly is cutting insulin prices by 70% and capping patient insulin out of pocket at $35 a month. Good for Eli Lilly to figure that one out. That is a big win in press release. Maybe not in profit, but in press release. And sometimes that's something to cheer as well. Today, we're seeing rising treasury yields. We're seeing downside leadership from the mega cap space. We're seeing weakness in many names that reported quarterly results uh, over the last 24 hours. We're seeing new money put to work on the first day of the trading month, strength day in energy materials, industrials, communication services, weakness in real estate, utilities, consumer staples, and consumer discretionary. Big event coming up March 11th, Saturday, 10 to noon in Lafayette. It's probably one of my two appearances in the East Bay this year. Might be able to squeeze a third one in, but I haven't been on the East Bay in a long time, talking retirement and income in retirement years. Then up for the event, March 11th, Saturday, 10 to noon at Rob Black Show. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.